Hi, welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where a writer, actor, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Brent Hodge, a filmmaker and comedy documentarian whose credits include A Brony Tale, I Am Chris Farley, and The Pistol Shrimps. His latest project is Freaks and Geeks, the documentary, which looks at the legacy of Paul Feig and Judd Apatow's brief, brilliant 1999 television series, which only lasted a single season, but launched a generation's worth of careers. It aired on the Arts and Entertainment Network earlier this month, and you can find it on iTunes right now. Perhaps to that end, Brent picked Superbad, the 2007 teen buddy comedy from Freak star Seth Rogen, who co-wrote and co-produced it with his best pal Evan Goldberg. Set over about 24 hours, the movie follows Jonah Hill's Seth and Michael Sarah's Evan as they try to blow out their high school years with a literal, figurative, metaphorical, general explosion of, you know, sex and beer. It's shaggy, it's silly, it's packed solid with emerging talent, and it's directed by Greg Matola, whose name somehow didn't come up once during our conversation. I blame the constant interruptions from the construction guys next door. I cut around them as best as I could, but you'll understand. This is someone else's movie. Superbad is a movie that... I realized as soon as I saw it that I, I wanted to get into comedy. It wasn't even the fact that I wanted to, uh, that, that it inspired me and it shot a certain way. It was just that it's a guy from Vancouver, Seth Rogen, who made it big on Freaks and Geeks at age 16 and worked his way up. And this was a, this was a script he had since he was a kid. And growing up in Vancouver, I just thought, this is like, this speaks to me so much. It speaks to every high school kid. And I don't know, there's something about it. There's like, it, I think it's, it's one of those films that, for me at least, I can't stop watching it. I could watch it over and over and over. And I think that's usually what indicates your favorite movie, right? right. Like, you can put it on. It's your comfort food. It's your comfort food. Yeah. And uh, I just think it's genius. I think there's... Look at all the actors in it, first off, that have, that have made it big. Um, you know, even from, like, Emma Stone, sure. she's a small role. Jonah Hill is becoming something... We, I, I think he's just beginning in terms of his, his career and what he's going to be. Michael Sarah, but the writers, Bill Hatter's in it. Like It's pretty incredible to think of that group of people made this film. And uh, I don't know what it is. I just like I can't stop watching it. I'll watch it over and over and over, and it's just every single time it, I see something new that I like or a different joke I missed. Yeah. A, it is. I, I, I mean, did you see it theatrically the first time? Yeah. yeah. How did it play for the audience? Yeah, the first experience, I saw it in Vancouver, actually on Vancouver Island, mm-hmm. just a regular cineplex. It's not like I went to some special theater. It's just, it, okay. was, it was getting played everywhere, which was great. And it landed with an audience, and I also remember getting very excited because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of bits of the script that actually have Vancouver in it. Yeah, I, I knew this, but having grown up in Toronto, I didn't connect to any of it. It just... I, I heard after the fact that Rogan and, and uh, Goldberg were just like, well, this was us. We didn't change anything. That's it. And there's, you know, it's, uh, it's his name's Seth in the show. Yeah. Jonas Hill's name is Seth and Evan. Seth and Evan, yeah. And there's a point where they say, just meet us on Granville on 13th. I'm like, I live on Granville on 13th. Like, <laughs> there, was, there was so much personal connection to it um, because they left it all in. And, yeah, they went to Point Grey High School. Their production company's called Point Grey Productions. Yeah. They clearly haven't mentally graduated from high school if you still watch 
and read their scripts. But uh, I, I, it connected that way. I remember someone like wooing and hollering when they heard Granville and Thirteenth, and it just like personally connected Hollywood to me. I was like, wow, this is actually it's I'm capable of making movies. These guys did it. Why can't I do it? And so that that I think was a big revelation for me. Um, I also auditioned for the movie. Really? Okay. So okay. Now so, we have to get into that. So yeah, there's and a friend of mine did too. So I wasn't acting yet. I I I did a little bit of acting before I was a documentary filmmaker. Very small. I have one role on Smallville, and then got into filmmaking. Okay. And to clarify for the audience, how old were you for the the audience for the listener? How old were you at the time? Yeah. So not even that. To be honest, not even that old. Like twenty two. Okay. Twenty twenty three, um, but super bad did a, a, ca- a casting for anyone in Vancouver. It was like a cattle call for McLovin. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So we, everyone went out for McLovin. And I'll tell you, the script, I remember reading the sides for McLovin, not the whole script. And it wasn't a, it wasn't what I thought it was going to look like. Okay. It felt like a VOC. You know, it felt right. like, a like a weird, slicker, version slicker of... kind of teen show. Bunch of teenagers are getting drunk at a high school party. It seemed like very Nickelodeon-y, and like it's called Super Bad. And right. I don't even remember if that was the name at the beginning. So it wasn't. I never. I didn't connect to it. But then I remember seeing the McLovin character and going, "Wow, okay, I did audition for that." Um, <laughs> it turned into something so great, and I think that's uh, that's why I keep watching it over. But I, yeah, that first time in that theater, um, yeah, I just remember. I just remember thinking like, "This is so cool. Yeah. This is so cool." A couple kids from Vancouver are making this really cool film. I yeah I, I saw it at a at a sneak at a the the usual thing for the press you see it on a Wednesday night with an audience yeah. especially a comedy they'll always try to screen those with with an audience and radio contest winners and you know now it's all social media platform invites and things but uh, in two thousand and seven it was three hundred people who had no idea what any of it was yeah. a couple of them knew who Michael Sarah was yeah. I think basically and other people knew that Seth Rogen was the guy from The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Or I guess Knocked Up had already happened, because yeah. this came out in, in late July or August. It was a, it was late summer. Yeah. They arrived. Knocked Up probably happened. He was in Anchorman. Seth had, had a role, little role in Anchorman. Yeah. But Knocked Up was the big leading role, and yeah. that was the same year, if I'm remembering correctly, earlier that spring. So people kind of knew who and what, and it just... Every line hit. Like, every single line. After ten minutes, it was just a flood a constant movement of laughter through the crowd it was it was great I, I there are very few movies I've seen in my adult life that played like that because I remember when I was a kid everything was huge but I grew up with Ghostbusters and you know big crowd pleasing comedies that um, and, and 40 year old virgin was the last one that really played well but this thing was everybody had something to laugh at the audience was pinging off different things it was just this constant fun time mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen very often. I can't remember the last time I've... I mean, I can. It was this. It was yeah, 11 yeah. years ago. Yeah, I I remember it just... it. It's how high school kids talked. Like, it really felt like you were in high school. They didn't try to pull some, like, weird slang term to, to try to act hip. Yeah. It was, like, exactly how you talk. And it was raunchy. And, like, kind of the same high school goals that kids have. Like, get beer so I can get the girl. Right. And hook up with her. And I'm so not qualified to get that girl, but we're going to do it because we have beer. And, like, just the way that they flowed off of getting mad at McLovin and then threw in, like, Seth getting hit by the car. And then it just, it was so great how they, the pacing of it doesn't stop, like you said. And it's just this 
snowball and it keeps going, which is why I love rewatching it because mm-hmm. you pick up on things that you forgot. Yeah. Or now that actors are becoming big, you see them in this, like, and um, you know Martin Starr's in it. Yep. You're yeah. like, right? Martin kind of Starr. a disposable moment, but uh, yeah. now it's yeah, exactly yeah. yeah disposable moment, and then you you just sort of do some research and you're like, oh, actually Seth Rogen and Martin Starr were roommates. That's why he's in it. Yeah. And it's just it's so it's clearly so near and dear to their heart that it, it, it comes across when you watch it. Yeah. And the um, the other thing you, you mentioned it, you know, they're talking the way teenagers talk. The thing that I got just rewatching it for this was the the glee everyone is taking in swearing, and it's not excessive. It's like the discovery that you can say the stuff around your friends and your friends are going to say it too. So they're all just, they're using profanity as punctuation in the way that you do when you're a teenager and you, you know, you're finally beginning to understand your own personality and what works and what doesn't and all that. But at the same time, it's just really fun to swear. Yeah. And that more than anything else, I think that and the, and the way that, um, I'm going to use the actors' names because calling Seth and Evans just going to be too confusing. Yeah, right. Uh, the way that Hill explodes all the time, like he is constantly, he's his. It's not impatience; it's it's indignance. He's mad at everybody that they're not that they don't get him right away. Absolutely. But he's incapable of explaining himself, yeah. which is hysterically funny. It's just this great runner of watching him sputter and 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 rage. And I think at the time, some people compared him to Cartman, which was a weird connection to make but yeah i guess you can sort of see south park was much much more important at the time yeah now it's just this sort of thing that's around yeah and it's weird like it's sort of hard to pinpoint what kind of movie this is is it a bromance is it like kids on a quest do we even have bromances back then like would we have known what that was totally as Um, an audience is it just a whole bunch of series of bromances like (laughs) there is there's michael Sarah and jonah hill but there's also Bill Hatter and Seth Rogen are in it as well. Yeah. And they kind of have their cop romance. Like, it's really cool. Um, yeah, let's read this. It's from the guy... Yeah, okay, so... From yeah. the guys that who brought you Knocked Up and the 40-year-old virgin right. come super bad. So those movies were out. Seth, Jonah Hill, and Evan Michael Sarah want nothing more than to hook up with the girls they like before heading off to college. To do that, they need to get to the liquor store for the big party that night. With the help of their friend Fogel, a.k.a. McLovin, and his fake ID, the three of them go on a chase for that elusive booze, dodging incompetent cops, Seth Rogen, and Saturday Night's uh, Live's Bill Hatter, while attempting to reverse a long <laughs> life losing streak in one hilarious night. Yeah, I mean, the, the One Crazy Night film is absolutely yeah um, part of our narrative um, tradition for sure <laughs> in terms for, of comedies exactly especially for comedy especially for pop culture um and this moment in time where you're still a kid for one more day right like it's true the last day of school thing last day of school really this is like ferris bueller's day off like, we've, we've done this but that's the thing that's what i think i like the most is like we've done this this story's been told before mm-hmm. just it's been told in Freaks and Geeks. It's episode two, Beers and Weirds. Yeah, yeah. Get the beer. Like, get the beer for the party to get the hookup. And uh, yet, I don't know why, it just landed so well for me. Maybe it's just my... It just connected personally. It's my era. It's my age group. That's yeah. it. I think that's it. It's literally speaking your language. It's literally speaking my language right at a moment where I wanted to make movies. And then it almost, like, um, verifies you. Because this is my godfather, Superbad is my holy grail. This is my... It's it's not my fault. It's just the era <laughs> I grew up in. 
And so just to have that validation when you watch a film, knowing like I could probably do something like this in my life. Right. And I could probably connect to Seth Rogen at one point. I could probably connect to Judd Apatow at one point too. If I, if I, if it, if I work hard enough or if, like it just spoke my language. So it's not just the movie itself that I love. It's the, the story of Seth Rogen and Evan making the movie mm-hmm. is just as exciting to me. A couple kids out of Vancouver write a script and make it in Hollywood is just as exciting as the actual story itself. Yeah. They are absolutely fascinating to me just because I've interviewed them. Uh, I think I've interviewed the two of them together a couple of times, but I've interviewed Rogan a bunch of times over the years. And he's he has gone from being... Like, the very first time we spoke was for uh, Observe and Report. We did it was a phoner, and I'm assuming you've seen the film. It's he's really good in that. It's a it's a weird, strange, bizarre little movie mm-hmm. um, that I think works really well as kind of an inverse taxi driver, and his performance doesn't condescend to it. He's playing the character straight. He's playing someone with severe mental health issues, mm-hmm. and he's not making a joke out of it. And so when we talked, his first. Ten, like the first thing out of his mouth was, "Oh, I don't even. I just pretend. I'm not doing anything. I don't do research." Yeah. And he was trying to laugh it off, and then that sort of went away over the years as he started to become more comfortable with being someone who talks about process. Yeah, because I think talking about Superbad, all he said was, "We just wrote down our lives. We just we yeah. just wrote down our own conversations." Yeah, absolutely. Which is, I mean, it may actually be true, but then they built a movie around that. There's mechanics. There's uh, plots and subplots and, and five or six different moving parts in any given scene after the first ten minutes once we've established what everybody wants to do. Yeah. And subsequently, he just he keeps making movies that are incredibly complex and and they sort of shrug off responsibility. When when they came back to town for This is the End, they were doing the same thing. It's like, well, you know, we just wanted to make a movie about the rapture. And it's like, yeah, but you made a movie about the rapture. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. And... Uh... Yeah, he's not giving himself the credit that that they really deserve for the complexity of their stories, mm-hmm. like um, and the force of will it takes to make a career. Absolutely, as well, out of this. Well, and geez, Fifty Fifty is my, my one of my favorites too. And like, you somehow made a comedy about cancer. Yeah, and it's funny. And it's genuinely funny, and it's genuinely real, and it doesn't offend people. Mm-hmm. And everyone is affected by someone with cancer in their life or has been and I don't feel alienated I don't feel like you didn't respect me and my process because the comedy is funny because laughter is this, this this thing that every single person laughs at a different joke it's amazing watching the freaks and geeks dock in front of an audience across Canada and America mm-hmm. where people laugh at different jokes it's the funniest and most amazing part about making a movie is when you actually get to hear an audience laugh like wow that didn't land that landed that landed and it's like Vancouver laughs different than Toronto right <laughs> which laughs different than New York and that that to me is is like so how do you universally with a film that big like a super bad or a 50-50 like how do you how do you catch an audience so well you clearly are thinking at a much univer- more, more universal level in my opinion mm. I wonder if it isn't their specificity that actually makes it universal you know like the whole I mean, you mentioned Ferris Bueller, and the genius of this film is that they're both Cameron. Like, there is yeah. no Ferris Bueller character. Yeah. They, they're guys who are trying their very best to be that and to live up to a version of teenagehood that they've only seen in movies and that they don't understand in real life. Yeah. 
And that's what I connected to because that's me. I, when I was their age, I had absolutely no idea what to do yeah. uh, with anything that, that was put in front of me. There's just no social um, programming that, that lets you be cool. Mm-hmm. And watching these, I mean, the, the genius, the absolute genius of the movie is that the, the score is only in their heads and no one else can hear it. Yeah. And it never directly tells us this, yeah. but that's the, the the rhythm that they think they're moving to and it it's something no one else can hear and it's just so fun, so just instantly effective at getting us on their sides and wanting that that opening sequence which people were kind of shifting in the theater trying to figure out what was going on the yeah. silhouettes dancing to soul music and as soon as that locks into people and and we understand what's going on it's just like this this is so great. This is the best depiction of, of adolescence in a, in a North American pop culture that I've seen in years and years and years. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, the one thing I think that differentiates super bad, call it a high school show, call it a high school uh, movie, mm-hmm. I think the difference in why it really hit was mainly the casting. It's because these are actually kids that you could relate to. Similar to Freaks and Geeks in the sense that they weren't 25-year-olds playing high school kids. Right. These weren't even... Well, Rogan was, what, 14 when he first read and 16 15, when he shot yeah, it? Yeah, 15, yeah. 15, 16. Which is wild. Yeah. But for this, for Superbad, it's like, not only are these the right age, but they're actually kids that I hung out with. Like, I have friends that look just like this <laughs> and hung out with this and talk like this. We know McLovin. We have our own version of McLovin, which is why I think it landed. And that comes back to the genius of Allison Jones, who's the casting director. Yep. Now, Alison Jones is the reason that comedy has gone the way it's gone in the last 15 years. If you trace back Alison Jones, Freaks and Geeks, Superbad, Pineapple Express, but then she also goes Veep, The Office, right. Arrested Development. These are all under one casting director. Yeah, you're right. That's almost everybody. <laughs> and she's sort of the, the, the queen of the geeks, you say. You call it the rise of the geeks, and as that happened. But really what she did is found real people. She went to malls and did casting calls. She went to Vancouver's and the Chicago's, not just L.A., New York. She really looked for the right type of people. And it's so apparent in the films. If you start watching a great film, you're like, man, this casting's good. It will most likely go back to <laughs> Alison Jones. I mean, just I, I've, we've got the, the Freaks and Geeks yearbook here on the on the sofa just to glance at. And I was just kind of idly thinking, I've... I've I'm happy to see those actors everywhere, and, oh, and it's yeah. kind of the same for Superbad. I mean, it's amazing reading this Superbad breakdown. You know, there's no mention of Emma Stone so right. she, she, that she wasn't big yet. No, no. A year later, she's in The Rocker, and I think Zombieland was that year too, or the year after. And from there, just the what was it, The House Bunny, and then Easy A. That's when we had her on the cover of our TIFF issue at now in 2010. Oh wow! And then suddenly, you know, what, six years later she wins an Oscar. It's, yeah, it's skyrocket. Yeah, but but in Superbad, she and, and Martha McIsaac are both, they're, they're, they're not given the same screen time, but they are equally respected as, as much as the, oh, yeah, the guys. Absolutely. Like, they, they are as important to the script yeah. as Seth and Evan. Yeah. And just the fact that, yeah, just the fact that Stone gets to be as as big and broad as, as we know she is. Like, they're letting her be her best version of herself in, yeah, in the absolutely. movie because they have the confidence that everybody in the movie can pull that stuff off. Well, just there's scenes that you maybe wouldn't get for from a, a side 
uh, girl crush character that you might get from another script. Like the, that last scene where they see each other coming up the escalator at the mall and they just let it play out. It's yeah. clearly an improv scene. Very awkward one. And it's great. And that's like that comes from the writing of Freaks and Geeks where it's like, let's put these characters in a moment that probably would happen or could potentially happen and let them just go. And that's where you see like Emma Stone's, yeah, all of a sudden she goes from a probably a, a day player character in this film to uh, having a real like third dimension sort of kind of want to know more like if they did a spin-off of Superbad it'd be great to hear what happens with her and where she goes and I just think that uh, yeah I think I think that that's that's just that's just great writing that's just honest writing god just imagine putting that cast back together now yeah the, now that three of the four are massive successes yeah like basically just a-list but I guess you can call Michael Sarah an A-list player right I mean he's certainly Absolutely, in demand yeah. enough and Hill is producing his own stuff and Stone is Stone and mm-hmm. Judd Apatow still working still yeah. Judd Apatow well sure Apatow <laughs> and Rogan and, and everybody else and Good Goldberg matter, yeah. but um, yeah no, with Stone like, she had me when there's there's that moment where they just knock heads and, and she just lets out the <laughs> loudest angriest fuck and yeah. it just tells you everything about her character and also that they're perfect together. They should be together. Yeah. That these two idiots belong together because they're going to minimize the damage around them. Yeah, and you know, the, the thing that Superbad does also is it had that like, and maybe this is just the wrinkle in my brain, but Freaks and Geeks is my favorite TV show. I love Freaks and Geeks, but the... the You've literally devoted years of your life to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But they didn't have that next perverted line that would come later. Yeah, because like, it was a yeah, it was a network show in the night in the late nineties. Yeah, and they were in high school and they're a little more polite. And they definitely had like a what are mom and dad doing in there? Like, why is the door locked? And they left it at that. They yeah. wouldn't go back in the room where <laughs> Oh, and it was set in the early eighties too, which makes a huge difference, right? Yeah. Those kids didn't have the exposure to things that the kids in Superbad have. Yeah, absolutely. And then you hear Jonah Hill say, like, Well, and that's located on my cock. And they leave it at that joke and you're like Okay, they they didn't has and then waiting for the reaction from Emma Stone on that. It's like, oh my god, this is genius. This is exactly what I was waiting for. Yeah, I was waiting for them just to take it a little bit further. Uh, as Judd put it in the Freaks and Geeks doc, Superbad was an extension of Freaks and Geeks. It was it was like it's a story of Ken, another side story of Ken, mm-hmm. but we got to go further and past what NBC wanted. Is is the perfect version. Of freaks and geeks. Yeah, that's where. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. Packed it feature length and. Um, yeah, it's it's a different kind of touchstone, I think, because mm-hmm. there's there's less. Just because it takes place over a day, there's less time to, steep in the characters. I mean, we only got what eighteen episodes, nineteen mm-hmm. episodes, eighteen of freaks and geeks, and you feel like you've lived a semester with them, yeah. or even a year. Yeah. And Superbad is so compressed and so. Um, Gleeful and happy, like mm-hmm. it's a much more upbeat show. Freaks and Geeks knows these kids are going to be okay eventually. Yeah, Superbad knows they're going to be fine the next day. Like nobody's going to lose a limb. Yeah, and everything. The, there's a couple of minor concussions and stories to tell, but it ends on this really great wistful note of like the escalator scene, as you said, is just this moment of acknowledgement that there's yeah. more coming, and they're they're going to be through. They're going to be together for it at least for the short term, and these kids are going to be fine. Yeah, and that's what I. Uh... I wasn't a freak or a geek in high school. Mm-hmm. And everyone goes, oh my God, why would you have made this show? I, like, it just, I think everyone goes through those experiences in high school, but I did feel more like super bad characters where 
I, it wasn't that traumatic for me. Like high school is good. It was a yeah. good experience, and yeah, I wanted to hook up with girls and whatever validated that. And we used to use my brother's ID. Like there's this is it's pretty similar, but it's not like we were so nerdy and this was going to be a, a like a story that we could tell our kids later. It's like no, it's just the last night, and there's a really good chance of hooking up with somebody, and you're gonna, you've got the beer. Right. And it's just really, I, I just felt a lot of them were, were outrageously real, like the period blood on the dance floor. Yeah. Like, and that's the kind um, of stuff we laughed about. Like, that's the reality of it. Yeah. Oh, I've forgotten her name. Um, the actor who plays Period Blood Girl, which I believe is her name in the credits. Uh, no way. I think so. It's um, Carla Gallo. Carla Gallo? Carla Gallo. Is, who's, Carla Gallo is Period Blood Girl? Period Blood Girl. And she is like a. Uh, an MVP of all of these weird television projects. She was on Bones in a recurring role around the same, or a couple of years later. And when she showed up, I, I just recognized her from five other things and thought, oh, good. You know, like they, they, whoever, and yeah, you're right. Whoever cast this is smart enough to grab her, or Rogan and Goldberg did, or Apatow did. But somebody knew that moment had to be someone who could throw back as violently and as vividly as Hill does in that moment. Like, yeah. you can't just. If he shames someone for bleeding on him, he's an asshole. Yeah. But if the movie lets him do it, the movie's an asshole. Yeah. So instead, she gets to call him out, and the movie knows that the, the, the best thing, and this is a constant uh, tension in comedy, is does the film know that this person is behaving badly? Absolutely. Like, uh, any, any comedy, the Hangover films are somehow people miss that Bradley Cooper's character is a sociopath. They, right. they think he's he's awesome. It's like it's the Rick and Morty argument that yes. if you love Rick, you don't get the show. If you feel sorry for him, you understand the show on the level that the show is supposed to be engaged with. But it's the you know Fight Club people who love Tyler Durden and come away thinking, well, oh, I should be more like him. It's like maybe finish the film. Yeah. Um, and in Superbad, there's always an awareness that they, these guys don't know what they're doing. They are children. Yes. They are. They are making mistakes, but they're learning, and that's the thing that saves them. They're, yep. they're not going to stay idiots. They're going to try to change and grow. And yeah, maybe you get a, a day's worth of of adulthood out of this later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if he had just if if Seth had been the one to get the last word over the period blood conversation, he would be redeemable. And yeah. instead, he gets called out by an actor who just jumps and like, leans right into that speech and she's amazing yeah it is it also leaves you they don't try to just like hit you with the stick joke and one and one after another one after another it's mm. like they give you that awkward moment of like why is she calling him out right now like you don't want to be in that room anymore um and yeah, it's just yeah. they just do such a good job of that even i remember when the, the police car was burning and I re- remember feeling like a lot of feelings over that. Yeah. Well, like, it holds long enough, right? Like we get to think about it. Yeah. We get to think about it. It's outrageous, which makes it funny. I also had a thought about our police force <laughs> <laughs> and like, what do they do when they're not <laughs> trying to catch? Like it just, I had a lot to it. And I think, uh, and then there's a redeeming quality to them too. It's it, the, you know, they help McLovin get arrested at the end. It's just so great. It's like such a, Man, it's it's so well put together. Um, even McLovin as a character, like I feel bad a little bad for him as an actor because that's a hard role to follow up on. Yeah, I don't know if he really ever has. He did okay. Um, yeah. Well, he's in role models like almost immediately afterwards, and that's a really great use of him. Yeah, that that sort of nerdy 
physicality, but with an inner dignity. Yeah. The idea of, of Fogel, the character, as opposed to Christopher Mintz-Plass, the actor, Fogel having this unearned confidence that he can pull off anything and that he would choose McLovin because yeah. either that's a name no one would question, which I love, or that's how he really sees himself, which again gives us the connection to Seth and Evan having the music in their heads all the time that no one else can hear. Yeah. There's, there's this sense that high school and the end of high school is the moment where you decide you're going to be a different person, yeah. and it never works. But it's the experimenting. Like, it's it's why everyone says they, you know, college is for figuring out who you are. It's because in high school, you don't have a fucking clue. No, true. Unless you're one of the awful people. Yeah. You know, like the, the jocks who peak in high school and who never need to change after that or think or think they never need to change. Yeah. These are guys who are just, they're, they're pro- yeah, they're neither freaks nor geeks. They're just marginal characters trying to be cooler than they are. You know, absolutely. Uh, and it is. It's that, it's a... Uh, yeah, high school is it, it, that's the thing I just didn't I didn't have pain in high school and I don't feel like they do in this like in Freaks and Geeks it's the painful memories that get brought back that you can relate to and this it's like no none of that's really painful it it, it just it just remind it, it brought back a great nostalgia of high school for me as well mm-hmm. um, well I mean with this you're connecting to the time when you saw it too when you were yeah. just out of high school and it was still fairly fresh I wonder if that's maybe part of it like Freaks and Geeks is the film uh, film Freaks and Geeks is a show made by people who have been stewing over this stuff for 20 years right. by the time it comes out. And Superbad is maybe six years later. It's like, yeah, we had a good time. Absolutely. You know, look at us. We, we, we fucked around. We made mistakes. We fell down a lot. But it was pretty fun. Yeah. Which I think is most people's memories of high school in their mid-20s. Absolutely. You know, the other thing is, I think that the combination of different people that make movies adds like a different mix to that pot and mm-hmm. so a Seth and Judd movie is very different from a Paul Feig and Judd show yeah sure I think what's incredible is when you mix people together into a show and a Paul Feig and Judd Apatow show like Freaks and Geeks is very different from an Apatow and Seth Rogen show you can even tell by the two synopsis on the back <laughs> this is while attempting to reverse the long life streak in one hilarious night right That's super bad First sentence of Freaks and Geeks, life sucks, then you graduate. Yeah. Just coming from two very different places about the same high school experience. Pessimism and optimism. Yeah. yeah. Or like um, reflection versus, yeah, I think, oh, you're right, actually, more more pessimistic, optimistic. Well, I mean, Rogan is a pretty easygoing guy. Again, like for the, for the work that he actually does, there's just no way he's a mindless stoner the, the persona yeah. just doesn't hold up if you talk to him for five minutes or look at his production schedule yeah exactly you know as I was saying you know, I think Apatow is the core he's the guy that can work with a lot of different people from Jake Kasdan to Paul Feig to Seth Rogen to Jason Siegel mm-hmm. and bring out the best of each one of those people so a Seth Rogen Apatow production is going to be very different from a Rogan Rogan production, which we've gone on to see and they're a bit more fantastical yeah right? they're a little, little more outrageous in my opinion, where this has a grounding um, that was very necessary to have Judd Apatow. Just the same as I think the, the Freaks and Geeks would have maybe spiraled into too much geek story if Judd hadn't kind of brought the reins back to it. Judd Apatow's a family man. Yeah. He's he's a father figure. He's a mentor. Yeah. He holds a value that I think is like pretty irreplaceable when it comes to a, a solid foundation in how a movie's done from pre-production to post-production. Yeah, it's funny. The, uh, for years, I had a standard line that so you can always tell Judd Apatow was involved in a movie if there's a toilet in it. 
but yeah. not because of toilet humor, just because of the humanizing of those characters. Like the fact that there is a, a sense that people are just ordinary. Yeah. Like we're not, nobody is super special in his films. Nobody is incredibly, I mean, except with the exception of Anchorman, where part of the joke is that people are absurdly made up and pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody is just doing people stuff yeah. all the time. And the frustrations of that, of the limitations of human beings, and that's all big, a big part of Trainwreck, yeah. which I think he brought to um, to Amy Schumer's script. Yeah. And, you know, everybody talks about the, the, the shitting outside scene in Bridesmaids as the, yeah. as the high point of the film, and it is, and it was his idea, and it plays, you know, like Firecracker. But um, I think his understanding of, of disease and, and decay and... and it sounds like I'm giving him more credit than he deserves, but I think that plays on a lot of his work. A lot mm-hmm. of a lot of humanity comes from seeing people just be vulnerable, yeah, and acknowledging natural processes and stuff. That's yeah. that's a natural vulnerability, and he's always had a really good sense of that. Yeah, and he's the core for me. Like, I love Superbad because I I I just I really love Judd Apatow shows. Everyone that he's done, I love. Like, you know, some more than others. Mm-hmm. Um, He's a guy who can he can extend a story. He can make a series. He can work with some of the greatest people and hone them in, like Lena Dunham, yeah, Will Ferrell, Jake Kasdan, mm-hmm. Gary Shandling. Gary Shandling. He found a frame for uh, for Shandling's relationship with all the characters on Larry Sanders that enriched and defined every episode. Yeah, Chris Farley. He was on a path with. Oh, I didn't know that. Chris Farley was going to be the original Cable Guy. Oh, that's how we connected I with Judd. Know that. Yeah, that's how we actually connected with Judd in the first place because we did the Chris Farley documentary, and we kind of knew that Chris was had had a chance to be Cable Guy. But Jim Carrey took it, so we we approached Judd about that, and he he wasn't in our film sadly, but he watched it and said he really appreciated it, and that's how we got connected to do Freaks and Geeks. Okay. Um. So it, yeah, I mean, I I just really appreciate his production value that he brings. I think he brings like a. a, a he brings a grounding to comedy, and that is, I think, super important. Because um, if not, you can go off on the reins, and then it gets a little fantastical. But he brought high school back to this. He like brings it back to something that we can all relate to. And and that's that's it. That's what sort of makes this for me, and why I can keep watching it. I also think like it's two thousand seven. There's not a lot of outdated stuff in this. Yeah, like, the basic concerns of high school kids I don't think really change very yeah. much that just, that's, maybe a flip phone changes to an iPhone yeah that's what keeps it evergreen yeah they absolutely. have internet access but they're not abusing it yeah yet. Uh, it's not slang that they're abusing yeah. um, there's no uh, there's no cameo from that one pop star in that that's moment right, right? Yeah. they said Paul Feig said that they were trying to get Britney Spears to be in Freaks and Geeks and Judd and Paul were like no we're not what doing would, it what would be the point we're yeah. not doing it like, it doesn't belong in that era it doesn't belong in that era it doesn't belong right now we're not doing this and the fact that they fought for that um, Seth Rogen was writing super bad while on the set of Freaks and Geeks right he brought it to Paul and Judd and said like yeah it's about a couple kids that want beer and like he said um, Paul said like yeah you know 16 year old hands you a script you're kind of like not right now Judd took that and like made it yeah. he made it something so I, I, I constantly go back to yeah the film's great it's cool I think it'll last forever it's funny but it's it's really the stories behind that that I care about the most yeah. just even the production I want to look into why Columbia took a chance on you know he did what Seth's probably 
23 at 24 at the time. Judd's not that old. Judd's mm-hmm. 36 probably around now. So you it's know? just a... Uh, I mean, I guess it couldn't have been that expensive, right? You take yeah. a flyer on the talent of the moment and it turns out that he can deliver. Yep. But, uh, so, yeah, so the film is, an, is less an inspiration for you than a totem. Exactly, yeah. I think that's just... That's a that's what makes a really great film for me. Is like there's there's more to the story. Um, you know, not a comedy at all. Another one of my favorite films is um, A Single Man. Oh, yeah. Tom Ford's film. It's completely different from the stuff we create. Yeah, completely different. Uh, it's essentially a, like a Gucci commercial. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's aesthetized on a level that only you know like Todd Haynes can. Yeah, dream of. yeah, and I, I just find it, um, and I've watched that movie 150 times. Wow. And no one can tell me why, even including <laughs> myself. The only reason, the only thing I know is that I love that they are, it is, it is actually like a Gucci suit, the way that it's, every single thing fits perfectly, and every right. single thread has a thought to it. Um, but I also just love the story of how he got it made and how he got his own money and he's never directed before and he said, I'm going to do it. And it's a story he wanted to tell, which meant a lot to him. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not gay. I didn't grow up in the 60s. It doesn't matter. that It doesn't matter if I personally connect to that story on a literal level. I connect to the fact that there's a guy that wanted to make a story and do it. Um, and then it comes down to this 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 book that he read from a, from a, a gay guy in Langley over in Vancouver yeah. and he optioned it so it also has that sort of dreamlike quality of like you can be from anywhere if you make great stuff someone will find it I always thought about that growing up and all of a sudden I have this great connection to that film it really has nothing to do with the film though <laughs> yeah, it's interesting though I mean people take inspiration from all kinds of stuff I mean that is ultimately the, the brings us to the last question of the podcast which is you know if anything what of Superbad have you borrowed or stolen or, or incorporated into your own creative DNA this is going to sound funny. It's not even the story itself. It has nothing to do with uh, the raunchiness or the high school moments. It's just the fact that they worked with the same people. Mm-hmm. The fact that Bill Hatter has now gone on to do so many more Apatow productions and also Seth Rogen productions, but the writers, the DP, the editors, uh, the costume designers, Allison Jones still casts all of Judd's stuff, all of Seth's stuff. That's what's happening right now with me we started making films I was 25 I'm 32 now and it's the same crew same people we fly down from Vancouver to LA to make the Freaks and Geeks doc we're still using the same people and I'm realizing the importance of that family is actually what keeps your feel and look and trend going in a, in a show it's not really my mind it's the fact that we've all worked together and we're all growing as different people and uh, it's them bringing different things to the table which keeps elevating this but also us feeling comfortable to bring anything to the table because we've worked together before. Right. And it's so apparent watching Superbad and how it was a hit and seeing them continue to use the same actors, Martin Starr's in it, or the uncle from Freaks and Geeks made it into there. Mr. Kowchewski is the math teacher in Superbad, and they're just going to keep doing that. Um, and the fact that Evan and Seth keep working together and they base it on their high school production company, which is such a great arc to all of that. And it's grounded in... in your own life like it's all you really have the people that you decided to work with you can continue to work with them or you can't it's your choice and I just think that that's 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 how it goes from being a job to a family um, and that's what I hope to just keep doing I hope to keep working with the same people and making great stuff well it's yeah I can see the appeal of having a repertory company I mean 
people you trust, people who know what you know, people who know what you want. Um, people you made mistakes with. Sure. Right? Like we've made enough mistakes so we won't do that again. Or also, everyone's different. Like, I have no problem uh, going on the road for long periods of time. But a couple guys in our team have kids now and they don't want to do that. Right. And so it's like, let's work to make sure we all have the lives we want. <laughs> That's easy to do. You just have to work together to make it happen. Yeah. And that's something you wouldn't get with people who don't know each other that well. No. Just the, the need the need or the, the, the understanding, I guess, that you need to listen. Yeah. And, and yeah. Yeah, families are better than uh, teams, I think. Yeah, it's just, like all these experiences are much better when they're shared with a bunch of people. And uh, when we were doing Freaks and Geeks, we watched Superbad quite a few nights in a row. <laughs> We kept doing it, and then it's just because we all like it, and that's it. It just wasn't like we should do this because we have a Seth Rogen interview coming up. It's just like we like the same stuff. We like Freaks and Geeks. We like all these films that have come after, from Forty Year Old Virgin to to Forgetting Sarah Marshall, which I think is incredible, super bad. Mm-hmm. There's an era uh, in the last fifteen years of com like a real carve in comedy, and it does kind of go back to the Freaks and Geeks seed. A lot of branches of those people have continued to work together, and that has created a very interesting branch of comedy, like a really nice sliver of what's happening in comedy right now. Yeah, I wonder if it isn't too the the alignment of all of all these people who ended up being writers as well as performers. Um, you know, even John Francis Daly, who's co-writing the Spider-Man movies yeah. now, and uh, and Siegel and Franco and Rogan. I'm missing someone else who writes. Busy Phillips wrote the story to, Phillips. to Blades of Glory. Mm-hmm. Um, Martin Starr has just sort of become this, like, in my eyes, like a Bill Murray nerd guru. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's kind of there. He's also just the series guy, like Silicon Valley, um, Freaks and Geeks, um, Party, what's it called? Oh, Party Down, Party of course, Down, yeah. he's a Party Down guy. Well, wow, like, if you could go out of this world and say you've been a part of those shows, like, pretty good. Yeah, he's the MVP <laughs> in his own way. Yeah, he's done it. Um, I also just, uh, what I think I like the most about Superbad is that it's the beginning of a story for a lot of people, from Emma Stone to Jonah Hill mm-hmm. to Apatow to the dynasty that Evan and Seth continue to grow to Michael Sarah, And it's really exciting to, to think of what could come next for all of them. If the Oscars for Emma Stone is the final point, I can't wait to see what a lot of them are going to do. And that's that's exciting, too. It's It's like... It is. It's it's my godfather, right? Yeah. It's my like, it's my Al Pacino and Robert De Niro's yeah. and the, growing up. The, you were talking about catching up to the characters, and I'm trying to figure out if it would be like a Godfather Part Three situation where everybody does do it and nobody wants it. Right. I can't imagine that because I am now actively curious to see what they're doing. Yeah. Like, is is movie Seth just a frustrated? Uber driver, is, right? Is because movie Evan is is out there doing something boring, right? But successful, but successful, yeah. And movie Seth tried to do something and it didn't take. I can yeah. just tell that that's his thing, the unearned confidence. Yeah, movie Seth is a uh, he's a party promoter for a nightclub in Vancouver, yeah. on Granville Island. I can see that. Um, yeah, and Evan, Evan's an accountant. Yeah, yeah. Got a girlfriend in college, still with her. Yeah, and McLovin designed an app. Yeah, they McLovin's either super poor or a millionaire. There's no in between. <laughs> yeah, it'll be like the the line from Thirty Rock that will either be working for him or dead by his hand. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I uh, am not worried about McLovin, and I am terrified of him. At the same yeah. time. 
Nora, I'll say one thing. This room is phenomenal. Like, people that aren't here right now are listening. <laughs> it's like a it's a full DVD Blu-ray library. It's a testament to OCD. Yeah, but it's also just a testament to a movie buff. Well, sure. I you mean, have, I've been at this forever. You I mean, have this is... two copies of I Know What You Did Last Summer in my plain view right now. Oh, there's I think there's four in the house. I'm on the box. Sony Home Video quoted me. I reviewed it for the Toronto Star. They took two sentences from different paragraphs and stitched them into a single fake pull quote wow. that says something I'd never said. Wow. But my name's on it, and it's so it's pre-internet just too. sheer vanity. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, it's, I've got yeah, I've got the VHS tape. I've got the Laserdisc. I have the DVD, the Blu-ray. I keep that. Yeah, I think that if I was on there, two copies of the DVD. Well, they just kept coming too. Yeah. I mean, every every new iteration would show up for as a review copy. So they do pile up, and it it hurts my soul that Mill Creek, this sort of discount label that releases yeah. stuff into you know like six ninety nine multi packs, they got the rights. To I know what you did last summer, and they dropped my pull quote because no. it's more simplified packaging, and I was just like. God damn it! Yeah, I, I didn't write that fake line with my name on it. I still want to have it. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. funny these like these, but those are the. It's a bit. Those are the ultimate goals. Like it's funny. It's I, so sad. It it's really, so sad. It really it's is. so great. It's the only immortality any of us have. Yep. As critics, you know, we're, unless I make a movie, this is my immortality. And that's but that's amazing. Like we, the Chris Farley documentary has uh, a Jeopardy question. Right. Yes. And we have that printed out. It is so exciting to us that we got on Jeopardy. Not personally. Yeah. I'll probably never be on Celebrity Jeopardy. <laughs> but the fact that they brought up the Chris, I am Chris Farley was the answer. Mm. I'm like, wow. That is so vain, but also just so, that's just a pop culture like check. What's the other one? I mean, my ultimate goal, everyone's like, what would you, what would be your dream film? And I always say like, I want to do an episode of Shark Week. <laughs> It's, I, I am terrified of sharks. Okay. But just the fact that that could be near my resume is just... Right. That's like icing to me. Well, I mean, is this why you made a Freaks and Geeks documentary? To be part yeah. of the culture thing a- that you love? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Whether you like it or not, I'm part of the story now. Yeah. No, I mean... Right? Like, I am. And it's, it's, it's a great thing. And it's such a great compliment to get it from Paul and Judd where they say, Yeah, you've, you've continued the history of this. Thank you. Like this is, it's now a new, new, new people will see this, and that is exciting. And yeah, we wanted to make the freaks and geeks talk. I was more focused on making sure that no one makes one after us. You know, like <laughs> yeah. we we're gonna make the film that that is that hits it so so out of the park that no one will even dare to try to make the other freaks and geeks talk. Yeah. Well, um, uh, John Hodgman, who who as as now is a friend of the show, which is kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote about uh, and, and did a, a, a one-man show called I Stole Your Dad, mm-hmm. where he discussed the bizarre position that he was in as a, as a literary agent and writer and journalist. He went to the set of Battlestar Galactica and in its first or second season and visited it and then ended up becoming famous mm-hmm. uh, and going on the show as an actor. He shows up in the final season. Oh. As a, I think he plays a veterinarian who's now a brain surgeon because he's the closest thing to a doctor that they have left uh, in the in this devastated humanity, and he spoke in the in the show about how surreal it is to come back as both as a guest star, so you're both a spectator to this machinery, and you have to be part of it in the moment, and it's this weird elasticity of of his experience is something that has absolutely fascinated me. Um, I've I've kind of toyed with 
I've done. I, I did a little act. I was. I was a friend cast me in a short film because he said I. I looked sympathetic and I had to be someone who was uh, part of the character's redemption. I had to just show up and be nice, and just get into a cab and go somewhere. And I just decided because I'd read the script that no, I'm going to kill this guy. And there's this one little furtive glance and like that was acting. I yeah. can do this. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and and Hodgman's story just made me realize just how much a part of. Um, culture depends on our investment in it emotionally, but also now with this rise of fan fiction and, and legitimizing fan fiction with all these prequels and spinoffs, mm-hmm. everybody gets to demand something from the work that they love. For sure. And I think maybe making a documentary about it is a better way to do it because you're not trying to impose your will on it. You're yeah. simply letting the work speak to you. Yeah, and getting questions answered that don't have definite answers. Why was Freaks and Geeks canceled? Mm-hmm. How did such a great show after 18 episodes not continue yet it's on the top 100 shows of all time on time magazine it was too good for this world yeah i mean we actually have those right wonderfalls yeah oh my god there's uh, tons yeah and it's but but the fact that no one's answered that why doesn't chris farley have a documentary muhammad ali has 50 why doesn't he like (laughs) come on he's my muhammad ali like why he should have one i want to hear about his early stuff and i just think that that's that's a beautiful way to come at a movie like, there's an unanswered... It's journalism. There's an unanswered question. We're going to find both sides to it. We're going to get the answer for you. <laughs> and also, you get to meet all your heroes. You get to do that, too. That's really fun. Um, yeah, and then the irony of it is that who, the, 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 who wants to be a millionaire is actually the reason that Freaks and Geeks got canceled. <laughs> the irony of that is that in 2009, back to a full circle of pop culture incredibleness, 2009, one of the questions on who wants to be a millionaire... While it's now in its terrible run of syndication, new host was what was Linda Cardellini's first TV show? Ah. ER, a couple other things, and then Freaks and Geeks is the answer. You're like, wow, what a what a weird full circle here. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's 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 great, and it's also um, it's not our only movie we're ever gonna make. I think that's what I've gotten over the last few years is like, you can make a bunch. They don't all have to be this huge personal crazy man you you have to make those but you can also make the freaks and geeks stock and it can be good and you can enjoy it and then make another one and like you can keep making movies i'm trying to make five to ten at a time now like we want to make a lot nothing wrong with that i always thought maybe i need to do that one masterpiece and that'll be my work like no just, just make movies you like making movies don't you enjoy the process of making them yeah, but you end up looking in the rearview mirror, and one of them is the masterpiece, right? I mean, if you do it, if you do what you want, eventually yep. you'll perfect it. Well, and that's Seth and, and Evan to me, and that's the influence of Seth and Evan. Did they think Superbad was going to be what it is now and be an influence on younger filmmakers like myself? Maybe, but they're also just making stuff, and they've maybe Pineapple Express has a has a has a different kind of uh, like suction to a different filmmaker. You never really know, and I think that's what's it's it's exciting. They're just throwing it all up. They've done like 10 movies since. Yeah. More at probably. Least, yeah. I was just trying to think. And Preacher. Like everybody forgets they run that show. And they run that other one. They, they direct the one first on, uh, two. Yeah. To oh yeah. Uh, Future Man. Future Man. One. Yeah. Like what? And they also did a documentary I've wanted to wanted to get made, which is the um, Console Wars, the book, which is about Sega and Nintendo. Oh yeah. And the battles between them. They're making the doc right oh, now. I didn't know that. That's that's totally up there. Like, yeah. Yeah. And this is what I was saying before. Like there's no way that Seth Rogen can be the hapless stoner that he continues to try to pass himself off as and we talked about it the last time i spoke to him which was for the disaster artist he was on set walking to shoot scenes with Charlize theron in their new movie and it's just like 
you can't pretend you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. At this point, you're you know you just have to accept that you're good at it. And I think verbatim, I'm pretty sure he just said, "I'm Canadian. We don't do that." Yeah. And I think he's right. I mean, Superbad is the same way. Like it's unassuming and generous and simple and yep. and thoughtful. It is as Canadian as a movie gets, and it just doesn't happen to be produced by Canadians. Yeah, absolutely. Well, not all of them. Well, that's it. So good for us. It is so good for us. I also think, uh, I just think there's so much more that's going to happen with these guys, and it's going to be great. They've sort of just hit the the Golden Globe Oscar buzz with Disaster Artist. Mm-hmm. Like, what's next? You know, they're still going to make great comedies, and those are going to hit and do well. But, like, there is, they're a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, I was going to say the next thing has to be some kind of giant religious epic, but they did that with This Is The End. They've already made the next steps. Yes, they've made an animation now. That's right. Right? They've gone, and they keep being successful with them, and they're going to keep going. Um, I've never met Evan yet, and I'm really excited, because I, I am a behind-the-scenes guy, and I know Evan is. Seth is as well, obviously. They, they're, sure. they're directing, writing, producing, you name it. But um, I just want to pick his brain, because he's been a bit of a silent partner up until the last few years. And, you know, he's very involved in Superbad, but he's not in it. And just, I would love to hear about his process. Yeah. I think he's the, well, I mean, having interviewed the two of them together when this is the end came through, he's definitely the grounding force. He's sure. the one who'll talk about nuts and bolts. But I don't, like, I don't think it's because Rogan doesn't know about that stuff. It's just that he gets so enthusiastic about whatever it is he's talking that Goldberg just has to come back around and say, and of course, we had to do it this way with these things. Yeah. But yeah, no, they're they're fascinating, and I, you know, I'm not crazy about Pineapple Express, but it's not playing for me. Like it's just not my kind of, you know, '80s action movie stuff. There's only so far you can go. Give me a kiss, kiss, bang, bang instead. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, that's I think that's the only time I've been really disappointed by anything of theirs. And even then, there's stuff to enjoy. Oh yeah, yeah. No, there is. Yeah, you get, they're not gonna hit all of them. I don't love Apt- all of Apatow's movies. Um, but some really speak to me, and others are I will definitely watch. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's in, and that's cool. That's cool. That's gonna also that's influencing what I really like, what I want to make too. I hope we make a movie that not everybody likes. <laughs> it's one thing we've hit. Like everyone loves Farley. Everyone loves Freaks and Geeks. I would love to try one that like maybe has some people wanting to walk out of the theater. Really, something legitimately divisive. Yeah, not like Mother, but like. <laughs> I don't know if I ever want to make anything like disturbing. I, lo- I love to inspire and influence in the films and, and go with comedy from an optimistic way, but um, I would like to push the boundary a little bit when it comes to... Maybe it's a proactive documentary. Maybe it's just pushing the documentary category a little more of like, real life is funny. We should laugh. They don't all have to be serious. You know, documentaries are very serious right now. Yeah. Every every single one, it's like turn the lights on. Why are you so moody? <laughs> Why does it have to be a true crime? Yeah. D- 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 does somebody have to die? There's always a cult, and there's always a cult. That's the and next one, there's it, always a cult. Always cult, and there's the trend that kind of happened. And I'm I'm, I'm like, it, documentaries are in a really great place right now. It used to be NFB, CBC, maybe Knowledge Network. There's nowhere to really go. A and E. Now it's Netflix. It's Hulu. It's Amazon. You can go a lot of places and get these picked up. And I think documentaries are breaking up, so it's not just a doc, it's a socio-political, it's a true crime, it's a comedy, it's a pop culture. We want to be the comedy doc people. Like, their real life is super funny, and I think we need to laugh more. And so, what does a food show look like if we make it? You know, what is a, 
What is a historic dock? Well, that's Freaks and Geeks Us. Right. What's an iconic dock? That's Farley. Um, what does a pharmaceutical dock look like? What does a, a music dock look like? You know, so we, you know, that's where I'm trying to go with it, and hopefully that pushes a lot of boundaries. That's really interesting. I would like to see a comic pharmaceutical documentary. <laughs> yeah, like just some sort of drug trial that has terrifying and yet funny results. Yeah, right. Yeah, what does that food dock look like if it's a Haji Films food dock? It's got to be something funny. You know, we're doing a music doc. It's it's about the journalism behind Who Let the Dogs Out, the song. Oh, dear God. Yeah. That's what I want. That's where I want to start. I'm like, oh, why? But also, I'm going to watch that. But why are we talking about this? <laughs> right. Are you going to get Mitt Romney? Is he available? I, just, I that is, talk to people. This still is the weirdest YouTube video I've ever seen. Why did he say that? Yeah. Why an, did he say that? Because he's an incredibly awkward white man who's deeply uncomfortable around black people, and that's where his brain went. It is fascinating to watch it's that moment. Fa- right? it's, I, it's so crazy that he said that. Um, but also, Who Let the Dogs Out the Song has a multiple owners. Yeah, a lot of people claim that they let the dogs out. <laughs> From a guy in Trinidad, to a hairdresser in London, to two kids in Jacksonville, Florida... The Baja men who were managed by Steve, uh, uh, what's his last name? He did uh, Hanson. He was a Hanson's manager. Oh, okay, yeah. uh, all the way down to the Seattle Mariners, who it was A Rod's track when he came out. Okay. So you know, there's, there is a really fascinating story behind who let the dogs out. It's also a question we never get answered. Who are the dogs? Yeah. How did they get let out? Where are they getting let out from? This is like an insane. Onion headline. It yeah, won't stop. <laughs> yeah, it won't stop. It's uh, no, how it's McSweeney's piece actually. Yeah, the um, what, what was the, the the best analogy was? It's like how Meatloaf will do anything for love, but but he won't do that, right. and we never find out what that is. Right. Just ridiculous, but also so funny and so relevant, and just movie I want to watch. I just don't think they always have to be so serious. I really want to know who let the dogs out, man. Yeah, it's an up for interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> My thanks to Brent Hodge, whose latest project, Freaks and Geeks, the documentary, is now available on iTunes and also streaming at AETV.com if you have a U.S. cable subscription. Thanks also to Nicola Pender. She knows what she did. You can follow Brent on Twitter at HodgePodge, H-O-D-G-E-E-P-O-D-G-E-E, all one word. And you can find Superbad on Blu-ray and DVD from Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play, and it's streaming on Netflix in Canada. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It truly does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening.